0: This is uh, week number 18 in our study of the book of Daniel. Uh, we weren't together last week because we had our single Sunday service, but two weeks ago we opened up uh, chapter 5. The first 12 verses is where we were. And you remember the, the setting here is very different from what we have been watching in uh, the life of Nebuchadnezzar. This is approximately uh, 23 years after Nebuchadnezzar has passed off the scene. This is the very end of the Babylonian uh, kingdom. So this is in like 538, 539 B.C. And the king is now stated to be Belshazzar. We talked a little bit about that, that Belshazzar is really um, um, not the king that had been coronated, but he's the acting king. The king who had been coronated is his dad, who is uh, more interested in archaeological discoveries than he is in running the kingdom. And also he had uh, an affection or a dedication to the moon god Sin, whose um, temple was in Hara as opposed to Babylon. And because of that, all those who were associated with the temple of Bel, which is in Babylon, were opposed to him as the king. And so instead of dealing with that conflict, we also talked about he wasn't a very good political leader. So instead of dealing with all of that, he basically um, put himself in exile from Babylon. And so his son, Belshazzar, is the one who's the acting king, the one who's running the kingdom. And this doesn't just happen here at the end. This goes on for like 25 years at the end of the Babylonian kingdom where Belshazzar is the one who's in control of the affairs of the kingdom. And so Belshazzar calls for a great feast to be held and it's just a feast for the sake of having a, a good time. And he calls together a thousand of his noblemen and so they're drinking wine and having a party and all of his wives and all, and all of Belshazzar's concubines are there. So probably there are other women there with the other thousand nobles also and so they're, they're drinking, having a good time. And so Belshazzar, for some reason, um, calls for the utensils that came from the Solomon temple that was taken, you know, 45 years, 47 years before this event. When they burned the temple, they took all the utensils and took them to the Babylon. So he calls for those golden utensils to be brought out so that they can drink from the cups. And so that's what they're doing. They're drinking from these cups. They're um, all getting drunk on this wine. Um, There are all these women. His um, harem is there with him. And all of a sudden, there's a hand that appears out of nowhere. And this is a hand that is not attached to a body. It's just a hand that writes on the wall. uh, It says, Opposite the lampstand. And so Belshazzar understands clearly. He's very frightened understands that this is a supernatural communication, right? So it's important. And so he needs to know what it says and what it means. And so he calls for all of the scholars of the nation to be brought together. We've seen this same event before in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, at least twice, where he called for all of the scholars to be brought together so they might look at the inscription and read it and then tell him the interpretation of it. And of course, like before, None of these scholars prove to be scholarly. Nobody can read what it says, much less tell him what it means. And so you remember, we ended last time is that the queen comes in. This would be um, uh, well. We'll talk about it in a minute who she is. Um, comes in and tells him there's a man in your kingdom who can, um, whom has the spirit of the gods in him, and he can understand mysteries and solve difficult problems and if you call for him then he will give you the interpretation of what this writing means and so that's where we left off last week that's in verse 12 where the queen comes in or a little before that but she finishes her statements in verse 12 um, talking about calling for daniel and so we pick up in verse 13 this morning. Actually, we'll read all the way through the end of the chapter because this, this is, again, a narrative passage. We'll move very quickly through it. And so here we have that D- Daniel has been summoned and then beginning in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 13, there the scripture reads, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is the one of the exiles from Judah? ...whom my father the king brought from Judah. Now I've heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you... ...and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom has been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me... ...that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me... ...but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations... And solve difficult problems. Now if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me. You will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck. And you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king. Keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O King, the Most High God, granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared, alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled." But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beast and his dwelling place was with wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind, and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and before you and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the God of silver and gold and of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see, hear or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this description was written out. Now this is the inscription that was written out: Mini, mini, tekul euparsin. This is the interpretation of the message, meaning God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekul, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave orders and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler of the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. So you notice that the kingdom switches hands very quickly on that very night. We'll talk about that beginning next time. So today we'll walk through what Daniel says as he's summoned before the king. Now Daniel is summoned because the queen comes in and tells Belshazzar about Daniel. Now I think Daniel, I mean Belshazzar already knows some things about Daniel as as we'll see as he begins to speak it. But how is it that this queen knows that Daniel can give the interpretation? You'll notice the last thing she says at, at the end of verse 12 is not that maybe he can tell you the inscription what the inscription means or that if you ask him uh, maybe um, he'll be able to come up with something she's absolutely confident that Daniel can interpret what the inscription says he can read it and he can give the interpretation because she says if you call for him he will give you the interpretation how can she be so certain that Daniel will be able to do this Okay, this is the queen. Okay, so this is either um, either one of Nebuchadnezzar's wives, possibly, or maybe um, a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, now she, if she's a daughter, then that means that she's married to Nabonidus, which would have been Belshazzar's dad. Okay, so if she is a daughter, then she is um, probably older than the time since um, she wasn't just a little girl when Nebuchadnezzar died. Okay, because Belshazzar has been ruling the kingdom for 25 years. And it's only been like a little less than 30 since Nebuchadnezzar went off the scene. There, There were two quick kings in the Babylonian kingdom after Nebuchadnezzar. they only lasted a total of about six years. And then Belshazzar was king until the end. And so this, this woman would not be young. So what would be true about her during the life of Nebuchadnezzar? Would she, she would have been there when Daniel gave the interpretations of the previous dreams, especially the last one when he went mad for a period of time she would have been there would have heard the interpretations would have remembered all of that so that's why she's so confident is because she remembers Daniel now Belshazzar knows about Daniel but Daniel apparently does not have the same position he had when Nebuchadnezzar was king Right? why would I say that where was Daniel during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar he was his right hand man right He was right beside him. He was there the whole time. Possibly Daniel was the guy who directed the kingdom when the king went mad because he had been there for many years with Nebuchadnezzar. From the very beginning, after his three years of training, Daniel was with Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel knew Nebuchadnezzar better than anybody else. He knew the affairs of the kingdom better than anyone else. He was the man that Nebuchadnezzar relied on to help him rule. Okay, so this this woman, this queen, um, don't know exactly who she is, but probably the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, and so she has this confidence because she's seen it at least once, maybe twice before, that Daniel was able to give these interpretations. So that's kind of the reason that um, <clears throat> that she comes and says, you know, bring Daniel. Then they brought Daniel, in verse 13, before the king. The sp- king spoke to Daniel, Are you the Daniel, which is one of the exiles? What, why is he questioning him? Well, let me ask you this. How old is Daniel at this point? Well, how old was he when they took the kingdom? As probably a young teenager, right? So let's say 12, 13 years old. Well, that was 67, 68 years ago. So Daniel's like 80 years old, right? He's, I mean, you take the length of the Babylonian kingdom, which is greater than 67 years, and you add to it 12 or 13 when Daniel was first captured in 605, and you, he's like 80 years old. So he's very old, um, especially for that day and time, right? <laughs> well, there's no one in here, I don't believe, who's 80. There's some who are approaching <laughs> 80. <laughs> 80 years young. Well, I guess, what do you do, right? What do you do? Now, my mother is 87, and I call her ancient. So... <laughs> no, you're digging a <laughs> <laughs> I'd stop digging. <laughs> if I were Does she have a will? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Okay, he's 80 years young, okay? So he's an aged man, and he apparently is not ruling beside Belshazzar. So somewhere in those three kings, he lost, lost his position, because otherwise Belshazzar would have known all this and would have just called for Daniel, but he doesn't. He does it at the urging of his mother. So why does he question him as, as Daniel walks into the stage where all these um, scholars are and can't answer the question. Why does he question who he is? Well, And, and Bel-Sharzar may have met, never seen him before. That could be one reason. What else? He and he wants to make sure he's got the right guy. Right? The one who previously interpreted dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. And so he, he I mean, this is simple, right? He questions him and um, he, he doesn't allow Daniel to answer, or maybe Daniel just shakes his head. And notice what he says in verse 14. Now, I heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Now, he could have gotten that from just what the queen said, right? Because that's exactly what she said. All right. But if you if you keep going here, that um, you'll see he says... Um, 16 where he says but i personally have heard about you so i think belshazzar has at least some knowledge of this daniel where would he get that from why would belshazzar have have some knowledge of this daniel who a long time ago interpreted nebuchadnezzar's dreams well the queen the queen spoke it right but what else Well, they're, yeah, they're aware of who Daniel is, but never would they give Daniel any credit, right? Never. Because these are all people who are dedicated to the Babylonian ways. Even if they came from Judah, which some of these probably are, they're still dedicated to the Babylonian ways. Because you remember all, except for Daniel's three friends, were totally indoctrinated into the Babylonian ways. And we have no evidence that any of them other than Daniel and his three friends did not go that route, so. Th- My father, brought you, this, father. Must have told about him. He's always his father. he must have known that. Okay, this is the guy that. Uh- <coughs> right. You remember what we said about that term, father? Is that Belshazzar is not necessarily the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He could be. That's one of the remote possibilities, but more likely he's not. That he's the son of Nabonidus who is not the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Now that the queen may be his the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar and be his mother. So it isn't that Nebuchadnezzar sat had, had his little boy there and told him these stories, okay? Because that's not who Belshazzar is. All right. Go ahead. The of all the right. Would have been part of the you would think and not only that not only that, if the king had gone mad for a, period, for a time of seven periods and then been restored to his kingdom such that his glory was greater than it was before, do you think that everybody in the kingdom knows about that? Yeah, there would have been nobody who, who that would have escaped their attention, right? matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar made sure that not only the people in Babylon knew about it, but who knew about it? The whole planet, right? the whole planet, to peoples everywhere and of every language. That's who his proclamation was to in chapter 4. So Nebuchadnezzar made sure that everybody well understood what had happened to him. Okay, so Belshazzar knows about that, at least remotely. And then the queen has just directly told him that this guy will interpret the inscription if you'll just call for him. Now, you'll notice in verse 14... Now I heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom has been given to you. A spirit of the gods. So what is Belshazzar saying? And what did the queen say? Because she used the same term. This is the same term that Nebuchadnezzar originally used, remember? A spirit of the gods. So what's going on here? All right, even if Nebuchadnezzar did have a true encounter with God and and understood who God truly was, right? Which I know at least some of you think that's true. Some of you don't. And that's okay because we don't know for sure. We'll find out when we get to the other side. Even if that did happen for Nebuchadnezzar, it had no influence on those who came after him. None whatsoever. Because here you are, only 25 years, and all of these people are still polytheistic. Matter of fact, he mentions in the previous passage, that they're worshiping the god of gold and of silver and of bronze and iron and wood and stone. Those are the six that he names that they're worshiping. So these people just still believe, you know, the reason that Belshazzar's dad's not there is because the people who were dedicated uh, to the temple of Bel, who is Marduk, the ancient god, um, they, they didn't like... Belshazzar's dad because he was not um, persuaded that way he would rather worship the moon god sin and so there's all these gods still and they just believe that one of these gods or multiple of these gods allow Daniel to be able to interpret things so nothing has changed in the kingdom If, if anything it's gone further that way because you know now no longer have Nebuchadnezzar who at least recognized there was uh, a god above the other gods. Okay, so that is still going on. And um, for some reason, Belshazzar tells Daniel what has happened, right? Now, Daniel would walk in and he'd see all these scholars dumbfounded, right? They have no idea what this inscription says. And you notice Belshazzar tells him a little bit that he called in these guys, but he doesn't tell him about the hand. He doesn't tell him about how the writing got there, but Daniel knows as he gives the interpretation or as he goes through his speech here. He knows. So he doesn't really need to explain anything to Daniel, but he does. And so in, in verse 15 he tells him about the um, the scholars being brought in. They couldn't interpret the message, and you know, Daniel would go, No kidding. And then And he says, I've heard about you, and if you will do this for me, then I'll give you the same rewards that I promised to all these other guys, right? That you'll be clothed in purple, you'll get a necklace of gold around your neck, and that you'll be given honor, and that you'll be the third ruler in the kingdom. And we talked about this, right? Third ruler, why not second ruler? He's co-ruler with his dad, right? And so if, he, if you're going to add one underneath you, he's going to be the third ruler, not the second ruler, as Daniel was with Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so he's going to be elevated back to the same position he had with Nebuchadnezzar, basically, because you've got to remember that uh, Nebuchadnezzar is out discovering archaeological things. By this time, actually we'll talk about this next week, he's already been captured. Um, as the Medes and Persians came into Babylon. He's already in captivity, and Belshazzar is the one who's still ruling the kingdom and doesn't recognize all that's already happened. Okay, so um, now Daniel begins to respond to the king in verse 17. And what does he say about all these gifts and gold and honor and being a third ruler in the kingdom? Just keep it, right? Just keep now, is he, is he being ugly to the king? No. I mean, how do you know he's not being ugly to the king? And just you know because really, you remember Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, always answered in humility, always answered with respect, always recognized the position, was a very shrewd man, but always, always very humble. There's nothing good in me that allows me to be able to give this interpretation. It's the God of heaven who's given me the interpretation. Always very humble. But here he kind of goes, oh, king, keep keep your stuff. How do you know that's not his attitude? Well, look at the very next verse, right? Where he addresses him as you would address a king. Oh, king, right? So he's not doing that. So why is it that Daniel doesn't care anything about the robe or the necklace or the position. That's exactly right. (laughs) Daniel already knows what the inscription means, right? So he's like, you just think you're going to go do this, right? (laughs) The last thing he wants is is to be wearing purple when Medeiros shows up. That's right, that's right. (laughs) As I said, Daniel's very shrewd, right? He already knows what's going to happen and so yeah he's not being disrespectful he's not being ugly he's just saying give it to somebody else you know i i don't need any of this i'm 80 years old right i'm already getting my social security (laughs) okay so daniel begins to speak and now what is it that belshazzar wants daniel to do i mean this is a simple question this is not a trick question What is it that Belshazzar has summoned Daniel to do? (laughs) To read it and then give him the interpretation, right? You notice Daniel does not do that. Daniel has the platform. He has the stage. And so he wants to communicate something different than just what the interpretation means. This is how Daniel always is, right? He always has a greater message than what he's being asked for. You, you notice that when, when Nebuchadnezzar asked him to interpret the dream, that he first went into this speech about the God of heaven, and there's nothing in me, and it's not, don't focus on me, focus on God, because he's the one who's given you the message, not me the message. The same thing he wants to say here. So he begins this speech, really, um, toward... Not only Belshazzar, but all those who can hear him, and and basically what Daniel's going to do is proclaim the same thing that got proclaimed 25 years earlier when Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed it, because that's always Daniel's focus is to get the message about God out to these people, and so um, through the you know the leading of the Spirit, Daniel begins. Then Daniel answered in verse 17. And said before the king, keep your gifts and your rewards. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the, in, the interpretation known to him. Now, when we had the first dream, what did Daniel do in order to understand what the dream meant? Remember, he went and got his three friends and said, if we don't interpret this in the morning, then we're all going to be killed. And so ask God to give me the interpretation. And he himself prayed all night long to get the interpretation. And God gave it to him. Here, no praying needed, right? The message is immediate. It's going to be exacted immediately. And so it needs to be interpreted immediately. And so God gives Daniel the understanding of what it means instantly when he walks in the room and he sees what it says. Okay, so why this is, these terms... Uh, the mini mini tickle eupharsen are Aramaic terms. Why is it that nobody could read them? I mean, I, I don't think these guys are using Hebrew. The Jew, the Jews uh, would not have used Hebrew, right? They were using Aramaic. It was the it's the common language. Why can't they read what it says on the wall? Could be. Could be. <laughs> Not so good, I guess. Uh, I don't either. I mean, uh, go ahead, Bob. Suppose the uh, wise guys were afraid because they did understand it, but they couldn't make the statement establishing their position with God. So they were afraid that if they told the king what it means, their their heads would go. Could be. Could be. Now... These terms are, um, they come from other words that mean things. And we'll talk about that when we, when we actually, uh, when Daniel gives us the interpretation. But they're also common terms. They're, they're not, uh, you know, uh, one means shekel. One means multiple, uh, one means mina. One means shekel. And I can't remember what the third one is. But, I mean, they're common terms. They're not misunderstood terms. Go ahead. Yeah, there is. There's a huge difference in knowing, um, okay, here's a, a mina and here's a shekel, and so why are we writing about money on the wall? You know. So there is a difference between being able to read it and interpret it. But it says they can't even read it. So maybe... Yes, that right, you know, the divided. They come from words that mean that right. is where they come from. There's so we'll, no way, just looking at those words, you could come up with a complete interpretation unless, you had God's. unless you're Daniel, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he will give the application, not just the interpretation, right? So he gives the whole thing. All right, so um, Daniel begins to speak in verse 18, and he says, and he's telling him what he already knows. Okay, this, it's not like this would not have been known to Belshazzar, O king, the most high God, granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. right, now, he, he, he granted him sovereignty. That could also be interpreted granted him a kingdom. What would be true about someone who is a sovereign ruler as Nebuchadnezzar was? What would be true if you're the most powerful man on the planet, okay, and the whole planet is in your kingdom, basically is what Daniel has said previously. What would be true about Nebuchadnezzar as the sovereign ruler of that? Absolutely. You could do whatever you want to and no one could stop you. And that's exactly what Daniel says it means in the next verse, right? He says, because he was this great ruler, everybody feared him. Proper fear, right? Because of the next thing he says, which is what? If he wanted you to be dead, you would be dead. If he wanted you to stay alive, then you would, because no one can thwart him. And even beyond that, what? If he wanted to raise somebody up, as he did with Daniel, he could do so. And if he wanted to humble somebody, as he was humbled, he could do so. So that's what it means to be the sovereign ruler, right? Now, what these people, and these people would have well understood that Nebuchadnezzar was that kind of ruler, okay? Because by the time Belshazzar comes into the kingdom, the kingdom is already worldwide. It's already great grand and, and, and majestic, okay? He doesn't need to add anything to it because there's nothing to be added. And so he inherits what Nebuchadnezzar created in his view, right? So he understands who Nebuchadnezzar is and how much control he had. And Belshazzar has enjoyed that same control for 20 years or longer, He's, I mean, he's acting as king. He can do whatever he well pleases. You notice that when he calls for the um, the utensils out of the temple that Solomon built, no one pushes back against him. No one questions him about it. They just do what he says to do. So now, why does Daniel make this point about Nebuchadnezzar being the world worldwide ruler and if he wanted you dead, you would be dead? If you wanted you lifted up, you would be lifted up. Why why is he going there? Why doesn't he answer Belshazzar? Is he trying to draw a parallel between Nebuchadnezzar and this condition of Belshazzar? To draw the analogy? You're being just like your grandfather and your dad. Yeah, maybe not a parallel, but the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned, Belshazzar should already know. And he does know. He just doesn't yield to it. Right? Because that's where Daniel's going. That's why Daniel brings this up. And also, what would be another reason Daniel would bring this up? To, establish to, make, it, to make it clear that even the, the Most High God is capable of obliterating even the most powerful man on the earth. Right. That God... rules over the realm of mankind that's the whole message of the book right that God rules over the realm of mankind same thing that was said to Nebuchadnezzar same thing that later Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed Daniel's going to re-proclaim it because that's the theme of everything that's happening in Babylon and after go ahead David Right. Of course you already knew this. And then he gets to the personal application and ends up putting in context the whole writing on the wall. That's right. This is you guys are all wondering why this is happening. Right. Interpret that, but let's explain why it's happening. Exactly. And so Daniel's giving them more than they asked for. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's giving them the whole picture so to be well understood about not only what it means, but why it means what it means. So he's given them a much bigger picture than they asked for. And in that process, he brings glory to God, which is always what Daniel's all about, is giving glory to the God who rules over his creation. And again, that's the theme of everything we've seen, right, up until this point, is that you know, men make decisions and take actions, but God overrules what they want to do. He tried to throw the three in the fire and God just didn't allow the fire to hurt him. You know, he God gave him dreams and then the dream came true exactly as he said. He was given the mind of a beast, you know, literally, and he was cast out of, man, of the realm of mankind to live with the beast. I mean, this is the whole theme of the whole book is that God hasn't just... Created the earth and wound it up and sent it on its way, as the deist would proclaim, right? But he's very involved in the affairs of men. And he'll say that. Daniel will say exactly that to, to Belshazzar here in a few minutes. So that's why he's going into all of this. Daniel wants them to be reminded of what they already know, of what's true. Same reason that we look at this, that we need to be reminded of God's majesty and his grandeur and his involvement in the affairs of mankind. Now, um, Daniel goes on, and he gives the the right description, right? He says, um, when Nebuchadnezzar was arrogant, right, and um, basically was praising himself, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud. Now, I have a question for you. When was it that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't arrogant and proud? When he was a cow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's definitely true. But before he was a cow, when was it that Nebuchadnezzar was not arrogant and proud? We couldn't figure out the interpretation. Well, I mean, occasionally he would call for Daniel, right? But even when Daniel gave him some interpretation, remember we talked about this, when Daniel's saying, you're the great and majestic tree, Nebuchadnezzar would have been saying, yeah, that's right, that's me. I rule, my shade covers the whole planet. You know, he would have have been nodding in agreement. So Nebuchadnezzar was always proud and arrogant. You know, we never saw him, other than when he was humbled by God, really become humble. So why is it that that Daniel refers to this and says, when he became arrogant and proud, what's he really saying? It was, that was, I mean, I think it was, you know, it had grown through the years, but there's more than that. Why is it that on that day was he given the mind of a beast and cast out of mankind and became like a wild animal? Why? He, he was up on the roof, and he was saying, here's the, the majesty of Babylon that I have created. But I think he would have said that before. So why did it happen on that day? Exactly. Exactly. Because that's when God said it would happen. That's the point. Okay, it wasn't that on that day, all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance blossomed and he he became proud. Not at all. It's because that was the time, The who appoints the times and the epics? God does. And so it wasn't for any other reason on that day other than that's when God said it would happen. Why does this hand come and write on this night? When God knows full well that the Medes and Persians are just outside, matter of fact, they've already dug a trench that lowers the water of the Euphrates so they could come in underneath the wall. So this is not like this is catching anybody by surprise other than these guys inside the palace. Okay, Because this is the time appointed by God. That's why. And that's, that's the point that we often always miss. You know, this happened because he was proud or what? No. Those are all true statements, but it happened because God's in control. And this is the time that he appointed for it to happen. And that's what Daniel's telling them. So he goes on and he describes what happened to the king, which is what? You can name these without even looking. What happened to the king, Nebuchadnezzar? Given the mind of a beast, driven from mankind, ate grass with the cows... Drenched by the dew. And the two he leaves out are what? Feathers like those of an eagle's and claws like those of the birds. Right? Right? Crazy man. Absolutely out of his mind. Has no human comprehension given the mind of a beast. So Daniel's just reminding them of what they already know. (laughs) And so after that he says... In verse 22, here's his point. Why have you told me all of this? I already know this, right? Here's the point. Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. This is why he knew about Daniel. He already knew this story. This is nothing new to him. Everybody in the kingdom knows this story. What they don't get is that it applies to them also. That's the point they've missed even though Nebuchadnezzar, in his right mind, proclaimed it to the whole world. This is why God had him to proclaim it, so that on this day, Daniel could stand before Belshazzar and say, you know all of this. Because Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed it to the whole world. Yet you're not listening to it. And so that's what he says. But you, in verse 23 but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before you and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. um, Daniel really makes at least three, maybe four. He's not judging Belshazzar, but he's stating the facts. This is the evidence against Belshazzar. And what are they? There's at least three and I would really break it down into four. What are they? All right, that he has not humbled himself before God. And you could say that contains a couple of components, which would have been what? right, he has exalted himself. Not just drinking from them, but you brought them out for this purpose, right? Meaning, what's he done to the vessels from the temple that Solomon built? He's desecrated them, right? And he's done it on purpose as really an assault against God, as opposed to God. That I, You remember Nebuchadnezzar's statement? And what God is there who can stop me? That's what, that's what Belshazzar is saying. I'm going to bring out these holy vessels and what God is there that can stop me. He was worshiping, because this is another indictment. Who's he worshiping at this time? The gods of gold and silver. Now, the vessels would have been of gold, so it could be there. Um, And then bronze and iron and wood and and stone. It does sound like the statue way back when, doesn't it? Um, So he is, he's all about worshiping false gods with, the utensils of the one true God. Go ahead. Um at the beginning up there it says that he gave a great feast for one thousand of his lords. Yeah. And you just said a while ago that the Medes and Persians were right there. They are they could not have been ignorant of that. But he brings well, one thousand of the lords to party party back. Yeah, um is he ignorant of it or not? Don't I don't know. We don't know that much. don't know. But don't but yeah. and this is why see they weren't paying attention. And this is why when, when Darius comes in to take... When Darius doesn't get there for two weeks, okay? One of his generals really is the guy who's ta- who takes the, the kingdom and kills Belshazzar. Um, that there's no fighting. There's no war. Why not? Because they're all drunk with wine. They all have hangovers from the party the night before. They're not going to fight. So there is no great battle when, when the Medes and Persians take over the Babylonians. There's no war. There's no fighting. They just march in and say, this is ours now. Recently, this is just one day. No, it's not just one day. Right. That's right. That's right. This could go on for a long time. Okay, so um, <laughs> Daniel still has the platform. He's saying all of this and he still hasn't given them the interpretation. You see, Daniel wants them to understand the whole scope of what's going on. He wants us to understand the whole scope of what's going on here. So he continues to talk, and basically he he knows it's not his position to judge Belshazzar. He's just stating the facts that are true, and he knows the writing on the wall has already judged Belshazzar. Nobody else knows that, but he knows that that he's already been weighed in the, in the balance. So, <clears throat> and then he says, because of all of these things, all these things that I've stated that indict you and are true, then the hand was sent from him and this inscription was written out. Now, the last thing he says at the end of verse 23 is the hymn of verse 24. And who is that? It is God, but notice what he says to Belshazzar. The God, what? In whose hand is your, breath? The, your breath life is in his hand, and what else? Your, all your ways. And all your ways. You think, you just think you can do whatever you want to. You think you'll go on living, right? But it's God who numbers your days. It's God who gives you the breath to breathe. It's that God who you're opposed to who is now going to judge you. That's what he's saying to him. See, we, you know, There's nothing unusual about what Belshazzar does here. We do the same thing. We presume, right? Do you not just presume your life's going to go on for quite a while? Yeah, we do. We, we, we make plans and we act like that, right? And that's okay. But what we ought to always season that with is a recognition that it very well may not. That God's in control and that he will do what he well pleases. As as Jesus will say in Revelation when we finally get there, I hold the keys to life and death. And so just like he has days numbered for Belshazzar here, he can do that in anybody's life at any time even in our day and time. Nothing's changed since the time of Belshazzar. Nothing's changed. He's still in control. He's still involved in the affairs of men. He still does what pleases him. He still appoints rulers and takes rulers down. He does what he will, what he desires to, to accomplish his purposes and to please himself. Nothing's changed, although we think and act like it has. It hasn't. Still the same as it was then, so he says to, now this is the inscription that was written out, meany meany, and it's like meany miny tiny toe, all that. You remember that? It's meany meany. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, meany, as you said earlier, has it comes from a word which um, means to. Um, Number, And then the next word, which is um, tikul, comes from a word which means to weigh, as in weighing in a scale. And then the last word, which here is said as eupharsin, means to uh, divide. And actually, you notice down in a couple of verses where he says, he's given the interpretation. Verse 26, he says... Um, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to his days. And I think that's why he says meanie twice. One is that God's been numbering your days and the other is that the numbers run out. Meanie, meanie. So God's numbered your days and has put an end to your kingdom. And then the next thing, uh, which means to weigh, you have been weighed on the scales and here's the problem. And found deficient you don't measure up. You don't measure up. And then he gives the last one and he says um, uh, Perez, but he doesn't say you farsen. You farsen, not the you, but the farsen is the plural of the word Perez. Okay? And so he's saying not just your kingdom is divided, but your kingdom is divided multiple times. So, the kingdom is going to be splintered. And it is. I mean, if you read the history, um, the Medes and the Persians, who didn't like, you know, it wasn't like the Medes and the Persians got together to come against these guys, right? It's actually that the Persians took over the Medes and then adopted some of the ways of the Medes because they had some good things. And so they then become one people, really. But their kingdom is, Babylon's kingdom is greatly divided at this point. And so it's totally destroyed. And so this is God's judgment, because Belshazzar was so bad. Is that why God's making this judgment? Because he disrespected God. To the ultimate. To the ultimate. Now, yeah. Now God orchestrating behind the scenes, right, is leading the Medes and the Persians to do all that they're doing, to arrive there on the day after this happens, so they can kill Belshazzar. So you see the orchestration of God. I mean, this is not like the Medes and the Persians have just been coming against them for a day or two. I mean, this is leading up to the ultimate taking of Babylon. They've already taken a lot of the outskirts of the kingdom. So Babylon is already crumbling. And God is orchestrating so that this, this party, this handwriting and the coming in of the Medes and Persians all coincide to the same time. Only God could do that. Taking the the minds of unbelievers, including Belshazzar and all his nobles, and the mind of Darius, unbeliever, and bringing them all together with the mind of Daniel, the true believer, to orchestrate exactly what he wants to happen at the exact time. It's not like this is coincidental. This is orchestrated by Almighty God. And that's what Daniel wants not only Belshazzar, <clears throat> but all these other people who are going to live through the coming of the Medes and the Persians to understand. He wants even the people who go back to Judah, not too long after this, to understand this same truth. Go ahead. I think he a step further by bringing it into the temple. Yeah. Yeah, and he did. I mean, on purpose. You know, and what this does for us, it tells us that the utensils of the temple were not destroyed. They were still there at the end of the Babylonian kingdom. God had preserved those, although he didn't preserve the temple that Solomon built, he preserved everything that was furnished into the house by taking it to Babylon. And that, you know, so we understand that now. And so they can be brought back when Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple, the second temple. And so that's why they're there at the time when Christ is on the planet. Because they were preserved by the Babylonians to be brought back to Judah. Otherwise, they would have been burned up in the fire when they burned the temple. If you're Belshazzar and you know that you've already lost a significant part of your moving invasion force. Right. Why get all your generals together in a room and throw a drunken party? Why not? Uh, to keep them out in the field? I never said he was a responsible ruler. <laughs> okay? Never did I say that. He inherited everything he has, right? Always happens to this third or fourth generation, right? You've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. And he is that. He's irresponsible in his leadership. And so... He gets killed. He gets taken over and killed. And that's the only guy who's mentioned that gets killed here. None of the other nobles are struck down or anything, just Belshazzar. And not even his dad gets killed because he's insignificant in the ruling of the kingdom. But Belshazzar gets killed. Go ahead. Right, and they had already moved their capital, right, to Constantinople. So most of the noble people went to Constantinople. So, and these people, they just apparently don't care. They're not keeping guard over their kingdom. Very different than Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled with an iron fist. This is the, you know, this is several generations after him. So... So go ahead. I don't know that we know exactly who killed him. It is. I mean, we do know that uh, who came in. And if you look at MacArthur's notes, which I know some of you have, he gives the day, right? The only thing I'm surprised he doesn't give is the time of the day. (laughs) But he gives the exact date of when it happens. And it's pretty well recorded in history. It's not like it's obscure. Uh, it is well-documented, and we'll talk about that next week because we have to also figure out who Darius is, right, when later he's called Cyrus, and what does all that mean, and how do we understand that. We'll talk about that next time. No, he's, a kid. he's only 62 years old. He's a kid. That's right, <laughs> just a child. He's 62, and Daniel is very young at 80. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that, Lois. <laughs> Any final comments? A question you got? Something you want to say? Narrative passage. So we move through it very quickly. We're getting ready. You understand this, right? I mean, chapter six will be narrative also, but when you get to chapter seven, we're no longer narrative, right? We'll, we'll. The pace will slow down significantly, beginning in chapter seven. pace. Okay, thanks for your time.